Son, and Holy Spirit. O Holy Spirit, Spirit of Truth, come into our hearts. Shed the brightness of your light upon the nations, that they may please you in unity and faith. O Holy Spirit, sweet gas of our souls, abide in us and grant that we may ever abide in you. Saint Gianna Bredamola, we pray for us. Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. For those of you who don't know me, I'm Father Ben Cameron. I came to Christendom um, back in 1987, so I was back in the old, old days of the college that only a few people remember, <laughs> including a couple here. Um, so I'm a member of a community called the Fathers of Mercy, and we're a missionary preaching order. We, uh, we travel all over the United States and Canada and now Australia preaching the gospel and trying to re-evangelize. In the course of my um, preaching apostolate and going to various parishes, um, as a missionary, I go into a parish, I'm there for a week, and I'm going to leave, and they're never going to see me again. So people who are afraid to go to their parish priests about certain issues will end up coming to the missionary. So very often in the course of my mission work, I found that there were um, a number of women who would, who would come to me who were in tremendous pain, tremendous turmoil and grief from abortion. And um, sometimes it was their, their first move coming back, and I was the first person that they ever, ever told about their abortion. Sometimes not even their husband knew that they had had an abortion years before. Other times, they were women who had, you know, had, had an abortion um, in years before, gone to confession. Maybe they've been to confession many times. They went and, and they've made peace with God, but they're not at peace inside. There's still uh, a tremendous wound inside, and um, and it's an unresolved grief. And they, they, I found that I couldn't do anything with that. I didn't know how to take them to the next level. So I had heard about a ministry called Rachel's Vineyard, which is for retreats for those who have had abortions. And so for my own learning and, and um, continuing learning as a priest and be able to minister better, I decided to go and make a Rachel's Vineyard retreat. This was in October of 2004. It was one of the most powerful experiences I've ever had in my lifetime. I've been, I am, I've been a priest for 12 years, uh, a religious for 17 years, uh, and this retreat was incredibly powerful experience for me personally. Um, I'll, t I'll talk a little bit about how that retreat process works and why it works a little later on. But um, first of all, I think it's important for us to think about why a woman would have an abortion. Very often I've heard people say things like, uh, or, or I've seen it in, in articles about this, there's a group of women and they're talking and someone says, I just can't understand how any woman could kill her baby. And that's a legitimate feeling and, and a legitimate thought because we maybe can't comprehend it. But if there's a woman there in the room who actually has had an abortion, 
that throws up a wall that she she now feels like she cannot ever open up to this group of friends. And maybe this group of Christian friends are exactly the people that she needs to open up to. Um, and I, so I think it's very important that we be very careful, uh, especially in mixed groups, about what we say. Because we can come across with the wrong attitude. Uh, when I was here at Christendom, I was in, very involved in S.H.I.E.L.D. And uh, I was down at the abortion clinic in Paul's church probably three, three Saturdays out of four. Uh, maybe, maybe all four most months. Um, and I can remember we had a lot of zeal. I'm not sure we had as much wisdom as we needed. Um, sometimes things were said, things were kind of shouted out, that looking back, it's like that might have been the wrong thing to say. Because we can throw up that wall... And what happens, well, what happens when a woman has an abortion is she undergoes, she doesn't just have a surgery and her baby's gone and, and that's it. There is an actual physiological, psychological event that takes place that permanently affects her. And they need help. And if they have heard the wrong kind of thing, there at the clinic, it might very well make them feel like I can never go to the pro-lifers. So let me back up. Why would a woman have an abortion? A lot of the time, the women who go to have abortions have been molested or abused. So they already have a very distorted view of sexuality because of molestation or abuse that they've suffered in their childhood. Their, their understanding of, of a relationship with a man is already distorted. And so they're looking for love, and they go with a guy who seems to love them, seems to care about them, and what's the result? They get pregnant. And then the type of guy that they're gone to, obviously a guy who's being promiscuous, is exactly the wrong kind of man because he is not going to take responsibility. And so very often, oh, well, just get rid of the problem. And so a, a lot of time, the woman already has difficulties with her father, difficulties in her family life, can't feel like she can turn to them, oftentimes is not from a church, doesn't have a strong faith base, and then the man who got her pregnant is not there for her to be the father. He's not going to take responsibility for his actions. So I think you see where I'm going. Abortion doesn't happen in a vacuum. Abortion is usually a result of something that started a long time before. And this process of one thing that leads to another, that leads to another, is something that I think those of us who are pro-lifers, uh, of course everybody here is a pro-lifer, um, we need to understand that a lot of times there is something that happened. If we think about in our own lives, how sometimes we do something and that bad choice leads to another bad choice which leads to another bad choice. That's exactly how somebody can spiral out of control. They're just starting on a different thing. And so they're, something is spiraling out of control. A lot of times, the, the, um, even if there hasn't been an abuse situation, there's still a situation in which they're 
they have been looking for love, and then when the pregnancy takes place, there isn't the support. And they don't necessarily know that there's help out there. They might have heard something, but maybe they're not even in the circles of people where they would know that there's a crisis pregnancy center that will help them where they will not be judged. Um, there are times where, for example, I, I've seen things and I've experienced things where a young woman makes a mistake or maybe is date raped. I know of a case where a young woman was date raped, became pregnant, and then was basically an outcast. Um, one particular young woman was, was basically forced out of a Catholic college where she was because she was pregnant. And nobody asked what happened. And so she left that situation out. She came from a strong family, and she did have her baby. But you can see where a, a young woman who did not have a strong family background, or did not have uh, a strong pro-life background, could easily not feel the support and end up going to an abortion clinic. When a woman goes into that clinic and has an abortion, Several things I think we need to know. A lot of the time, there's a lot of screaming in there. And it's not just from the physical pain. A lot of the women are screaming because they have felt their baby being ripped from, from, from within them. Uh, I have one lady who I know who from Rachel's Vineyard who said she actually physically felt her baby being torn apart. And so they're, they're screaming with pain, with grief, and this, this grief is in there, and they don't know who to talk to. Whenever there's a, a loss, uh, a human being undergoes a loss, especially a loss of a loved one, a grief has to be faced, it has to be accepted and, and resolved. And when a person undergoes a grief, say for example, uh, a person has a child, um, their, their baby dies. They're a good, good example, there's a Christendom graduate named Mary Vistanonso, had her 10th child, first daughter, child was born with trisomy 18. Um, she, had that, she had the baby, uh, was able to hold her baby, had the, her baby with her, Rosemary with her for several months, and then lost her child. She had time to prepare for the inevitable, because unless there was a miracle, her baby was going to die. She also had a family that grieved with her. She had a grave to go to, to grieve. She has these things that help her in her grieving process. When a woman has an abortion, there is no grave, there is no cemetery to go to, there is no funeral, and oftentimes there's nobody to share the grief with her. So, in the people who pushed her to have the abortion, they say, get over it, the problem's over. What are you unhappy about? You know, your, your problem was you're pregnant, your problem's done, get over it. Um, the pro-abortionists certainly don't want to hear that there's a grief. And oftentimes, they're afraid that pro-lifers will not accept them. And so this grief, is buried inside. So they've undergone a trauma, an actual physiological trauma, psychological trauma as well. Um, post
post-abortion syndrome is actually a form of post-traumatic stress disorder. Um, in post-traumatic stress, the, the two sides of the brain that normally work together, the um, right side of the brain holds images. The left side of the brain is the reasoning side. And in normal operation, the two sides of the brain are always working together. In a, in a post-traumatic stress situation, those two sides of the brain, it's like they're severed. They have all these images, they have all these memories, these nightmarish images, and they can't make any sense out of them. And so they've got this stress disorder, and then they've got, uh, which has got a lot of, a lot of uh, effects. For example, some women cannot stand the sound of a vacuum cleaner. It reminds them of the abortion. And they don't remember. They don't know why, but they can't stand the sound of a vacuum cleaner. It makes them sick. Uh, there are women who cannot stand the sight or the smell of a pregnant woman. There are women who cannot stand the sight of a newborn. And it's because they had an abortion. And this is, it's affected them in this way. So they have this, this disconnect psychological disconnect and then they have and they have this unresolved grief in their heart and in their soul and they don't know what to do with it and they might know in their head as a Catholic I've been to confession I've confessed my sin the priest has absolved me God has forgiven me but they can't go from that to accepting it because of this trauma and because of the grief that they have and so what I found is what Rachel's Vineyard does is we set up, we have a retreat. Um, let me make a distinction. There's, there's Project Rachel. Project Rachel refers a person for counseling, and that can be very good. Some people, one-on-one -on -one counseling works very well. Other people don't like to talk about it, one-on-one -on -one counseling. So what Rachel's Vineyard does, we have a retreat, a weekend retreat, and it's all based on scriptural meditations on Christ and its interaction with people who are hurting and people who are sinners. And so they meditate on the woman caught in adultery and Jesus forgiving the woman caught in adultery. They meditate on Bartimaeus and they, they recognize they've been blind to what they've done. And they ask God to heal them as he healed Bartimaeus. They meditate on Lazarus being bound in the tomb and they realize that there's part of them that's been dead inside. They've been dead inside. And so they acknowledge that and they ask Jesus to heal them and to bring them to life again. And all of this prepares them for confession if they haven't been already and prepares them for the ultimate thing of, of the Eucharist, of entrusting themselves and their children to, to Christ um, recognizing that Jesus loves their children and that he loves their children more than they do. And he always loved their child, even when they didn't. And, um, and I've seen that in, in this, uh, tremendous barriers come down. Uh, tremendous amount of woundedness begins to, to come out. And uh, I've, seen, I've seen women who were so bound up in themselves with their grief that they would be like laying on a bed in a fetal position anytime they could. 
because that's the only way they felt comfortable. And then you'd see these barriers start to come down. And maybe during the weekend, maybe a year later, I'd meet them again, and I didn't even recognize them because of the healing that Christ has done. Because, see, our Lord Jesus does not just want to forgive a sin. He wants to heal the wound. He wants to make the person well again. So it's kind of the opposite of Humpty Dumpty. All the king's horses, all the king's men could not put him back together. But when God takes the person who is wounded and he puts them back together again, he actually can make them more whole than they ever were before. But the thing is that we need to recognize several things. One is it's not good to, to spout off, how could anybody ever do this? Because right then it might put up a barrier to where they couldn't, they won't come to us. And it's actually, it's, it's pro-life people who love Jesus, who are the exact people who they need to know, love them, accept them, embrace them. And we do, and we lead them to the Lord. And we tell them about the Lord. And we bring them to confession, and we bring them to things like Rachel's Vineyard so that the Lord can heal the wounds. Um, and um, when, we're, when we meet somebody who is post-abortive, and it, sometime in your life you will, because you're not always going to be a Christendom, um, and they say that one out of every six women in America has had an abortion, and it's about the same for Catholic women as for others. When we meet somebody and they they are showing that they're in turmoil, that there's something wrong, there's something inside, uh, if we reach out to them with love, they might open up. And if we embrace them and we truly accept them, not as, how could you have done that? But we accept them as a sinner like we are. We embrace them with God's love. We want to share with them the love and mercy of God. Uh, we can help them begin the process of healing. And I think this is one of the most important things in the pro-life movement today because of several things. One is when a woman has an abortion and she does not go through healing, she's more likely to have another. A lot of women have three, four, five, six abortions. And part of it is because when they undergo that trauma, there's this tremendous disconnect. They know they've lost their child. They know they've killed their child. And they want to make up for it. And so then they end up having sex again. They get pregnant again. And then they find themselves in this same situation where they're not having support. And then they end up going and having another abortion. And it ends, it's part of a traumatic reenactment. And they keep doing the same thing over. I have a good friend who had four abortions before God finally reached into her life and grabbed hold of her and brought her to Rachel's Vineyard. Um, she now actually helps run the retreats at, at my Rachel's Vineyard team in Western Kentucky. She's one of our key members, uh, reaching out to others, helping others in the healing process. Um, and the other thing is that once a, a woman who is post-abortive comes to God and, and receives healing from the Lord, she becomes, 
themselves the best possible spokesman for the cause of life. Because, say, I'm at a clinic and I'm praying or I'm holding up a sign, they can come up to me and say, you're a man, what could you know? They can go up to, to one of you young women who've never had a child and say, what do you know? You've never been in this situation. They can never do that with her. They can never... They can try to say there's a problem, there's not a problem. They can try to say there's no trauma. They can try to say there's no grief. But they cannot deny the reality of her experience. And when a woman stands there and says, I've been there, I've done that, it's the worst thing that ever happened in my life, there's no more eloquent speaker for the cause of life, for the cause of the unborn. Because they know the pain they've gone through. They know what it did in their life. They know what it caused. The the turmoil that it caused. The downhill spiral that happened in their life from that experience. Um, So it's my opinion that one of the most important things we can do in the pro-life movement today is to reach out to those who've already had abortions. Um... There's a priest who's the founder, I forget his name, he's the founder of the, Pre- the Helpers of God's Precious Infants. And he told one of our priests whose um, former Operation Rescue was in, arrested and, and abused by the, priests in, or the police in L.A. for Operation Rescue. He told Father Jim, said, a lot of people, they do the sidewalk counseling at the clinic, and after all the girls have gone in, they leave. He says they, they miss the most important time. He said, actually, the most important time is to be there when they come out. Because when they come out, they've gone through that devastation, and they need to know that there's somebody there who still loves them and still wants to reach out to them with the message of love and forgiveness and that Jesus still loves them. Because a lot of times they don't believe that God loves them, that God could ever forgive them. And, um, and that's, that's part of the problem. That's why, that's why so many women who've had abortions get involved in drugs, alcohol, promiscuous behavior, and uh, have extremely high rates of suicide. Is because they've undergone this tremendous thing and they don't see how God can forgive them. But if we reach out to them, then we can end up being the difference between life and death being the difference between one abortion and four abortions. Uh, We can be the difference between a person who spends their whole life in turmoil and grief and a person who receives healing and and becomes a new person. Um, I've known many, through my work with, with Rachel's Vineyard and my time as a priest, I have probably had contact with literally hundreds of women who are post-abortive. And I've seen both the damaged side and I've seen the healed side. And it's absolutely amazing, the difference between the two. And there are a lot of the women I know who have gone through healing, have come to the Lord and gone through this process and allow themselves to grieve, And they name their babies. They give their babies to Jesus. They ask Jesus to hold their babies for them. And they they believe.
that someday they will see their babies, that they will know their babies, because Pope John Paul II and his message of hope is extremely important. Uh, the, uh, the radicals who say you'll never see your baby again, they don't, do not help. Do not help. The, the hope and entrusting them to God, the God of love, the God of mercy, and believing that Jesus loves them, loves the children, and that they have the hope of seeing their children someday and being with them with the Lord. Absolutely amazing what that does in a person. Um, and it, and it affects, it's both, it's the women, but it also the men too. Um, the men who have who've been involved in abortion also go, have extreme grief, um, feel their manhood has been betrayed, they betrayed the very essence of being a man is is to protect your 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 woman and your children, and they betrayed that, and they feel like there's nothing they can do. Where they failed, maybe they tried to stop it, they couldn't stop it. Uh, so they too go through a grief uh, and a, a real grieving process. But um, anyway, I've I've seen the healing, I've seen the power of what it can do in lives, and. Um, I think it's important for all of us to know about it.